If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 1, verses 17 and 18 is where we're going to be. We said last week, and we're going to say it again today, that we can be following all sorts of things in the world today. It could be sports, it could be fashion, it could be even addicted to the Facebook and the Twitter and the Instagrams and all those kinds of things. And the problem is, when we start following all sorts of things, if we're not careful, we can soon find ourselves actually worshiping those things. In other words, those things take the place of worship, or those things take the place of our Bible studies. Those things soon take place of actual worshiping our Savior. As David said in Psalms, to allow us to seek his face, you know, in all things that we do. Whatever we do, we need to be doing those things. We're talking about the most important thing that we need to be doing this week, last week, and several weeks, is to follow Jesus. This morning, as we talk about following Jesus, we're going to talk about the princess syndrome that I read about. I promise it ties into following Jesus. And you're starting to look at me like, there's no way you're tying in the princess syndrome with following Jesus. Give me just a moment, and we will. I promise. Here's our key verse. And I want you to understand this verse has not changed. It still calls us to follow him, to follow Jesus. And I want you to notice it says don't follow this experience. Don't follow this religion. Don't follow this doctrine. Don't follow celebrities. Don't follow all this other things in the world has to offer. But it says to follow him, to follow Jesus. Mark 1, 17 and 18 says this, Then Jesus said to them, Follow me. He says, I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Two simple words, it seems, to follow him, to follow Jesus. And I think what we have to do is return to the foundations of what our faith is all about. What it means to truly be a Christian. What it truly means to follow him, the one and only. You see, we call a lot of people Christians today. And honestly, when somebody says they're a Christian, it doesn't always mean all that much. They can claim to be a Christian, but then they don't live what Christ taught. And I think of athletes that's on TV, and, you know, they make this free throw and they thank God, you know, which is great. I have no issue with that. But what do they do after the game? What do they do through the rest of the week? What do they do in the off-season for what, for what Christ wants from us? What counts is that we follow Jesus in a lifestyle, in who we are in our hearts. It says, to follow me, he says, then I will make you fishers of men. We say, follow me, and we say, I'm going to follow Jesus, but we miss that next step. He says, I will make you something. I'm going to turn you in to a fishers of men. You will be coming something that you're not right now when we truly follow him. We need to understand that. It's going to change who we are. It's going to change what we do. It's going to change what we truly follow, what we truly believe in. He will change you. And understand, all of a sudden, when we're truly following Jesus, you're going to all of a sudden be interested in somebody's salvation in somebody's welfare. In other words, you're not going to be able to drive by somebody's house anymore and see them outside on Sunday morning and not do something about it. And it may be as simple as, hey, come to church with me. 
Call them on Saturday. Call them in the middle of the week and say, hey, I'm going to church on Sunday. We have this thing after church. We're going to Turkey Run. Won't you come join us? You don't have to bring anything. Just go to Turkey Run with us after church and fellowship with us. It's as simple as that. But you see, Jesus will turn us into something we are not right now. So many times we get caught up in these experiences of life. And we get caught up in the experience and all of a sudden we forget about the lost We forget about the needs of the people and those needs and the loss have kind of left our minds and we just don't think about it anymore because we just kind of come into church on Sundays and we kind of come into a beautiful building and you know we have all these things going on and we forget that the world still needs us. Jesus says, follow me and what? I will make you fishers of men. That means we got to go fishing, folks. For some of you are saying, cool, I'm going to get my rod and rail. I'm on the lake. I'm going to the river. I'm going to go. For, I love fishing. No. It means we go find people. We catch people for Jesus. You see, each of us is called by God to connect to Jesus and to follow him. Remember last Sunday we said this word follow kind of is two words together. It means union and road. It means to be on the same road as somebody else. It means to be going in that same direction. It means to have one vision, one goal that we're following this person. But we also said Jesus is not going to tell us everything to do because he wants us to think for ourselves. But he will guide us and direct us. But so many times we look at the things of the world and we wonder what we can truly do. And you see, I don't think being a follower of Jesus means we can't love the church. You see, if we're followers of Jesus and we're doing what Christ wants us to do, it means we have to love the church. And I want you to understand, loving the church doesn't mean we love a perfect thing. We understand, right, church isn't perfect. Why isn't church perfect? You would think, somebody said it, because of us. Because we are imperfect people that make up Christ's church. Yes, the church is going to struggle. The church all over the world is struggling. But you know what? When we do what Christ wants us to do, we're his church. Because even though the church isn't perfect, nonetheless, it is his church. It is the church he came for. It is the church he died for. We can't be a follower of Jesus and not be engaged with his people. Okay? And that means worship. That means doing things outside of worship. That means studying together, doing life together. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. Knowing and hearing the voice of God. Knowing what God wants from us. It means sometimes we have to turn off the radio, we have to get off our phones, we have to do certain things, and get away with just Christ. So we have to understand, first and foremost, it's not all about me. Okay? And you need to tell that to yourself. Go ahead and tell yourself, it's not about me. Then I want you to turn to the next person beside you and say, you know what, it's not all about you, okay? Be careful, you might get slapped by somebody because they're not going to like this message, okay? So we've got that, right? It's not all about us. Who's it about then? You can say Jesus, that's always the right answer. And yes, it's about Jesus, but it's about them that's in the world today. It's about our neighbors. It's about our friends. It's about those people who truly need to know who Jesus is. So how does all this tie together into this princess syndrome? 
It's not all about me. So the first thing you outline is simply this. It's a give me society. It's what we call the entitlement mentality or the entitlement syndrome in the world today. And there's a story in Luke 15, and we went over the story in VBS, the story of the lost son. And in verses 11 and 12, it says this. The younger younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate or give me my inheritance. Now, when you read this story, you understand this story. One aspect, if I stand over here and look at it this direction, it's about a father's generosity. How a father gives his son what he asks for. Because it's not common to get your inheritance early before somebody passes away. But the son, give me this. But it also contains key reasons why people self-destruct. Okay? Give me It's a mentality. It's all about me. It's what I want. It's about what I need. It's about what I want to do. When we have this me attitude and it's all about me, what happens? We become so self-centered, we forget about what's going on in the world around us. Yeah, we'll watch the news. We'll know what's going on in Chicago, New York, Danville. But what about our neighborhood? What about where we live? You see, the son was self-centered. He didn't care about his dad. He didn't care about his brother. And I would have a feeling if he didn't care about dad and his brothers, I bet the servants absolutely hated this kid because he was always belittling the servants about what he needed to do. He had this sense of entitlement. He had no interest in the welfare of his father. He has this expectation of special treatment. Why? Because his dad has money. His dad is rich. He wants all these things. And he sternly promoted himself. Give me my inheritance. You see, it wasn't his yet. Yeah, the money was there. It was still dad's. It wasn't his. He, ex- he was self-focused. He used others to advance himself. He exploited relationships. His focus was on personal rights rather than responsibility. First and foremost, he had a responsibility to be a son, first and foremost, to do what the other brother was already doing, to work for his father, to do what his father wanted. So all these things kind of comes into what I call, and what somebody else called, this princess syndrome. This is where it ties in. The princess syndrome is simply this, when we think we have to be the central focus. Okay? That's the Cinderella syndrome. When we think we have to be the central focus of everything, that I have to be the middle of all that's going on, you see, it's when children become the central focus of a family that they grow up to be self-centered. Now, I want you to know my daughter's meant a lot to me. My granddaughter means a lot to me. And probably we did have them to be central focus for a while. But that's, that's one part. But I also look at what they're doing now, and I don't think it's all about them. The princess and all the Disney stories is always the center focus, isn't she? Whatever the princess wants, what happens? She gets. That's the princess syndrome. It's whatever I want that I get. It's whatever I want that I'm going to make sure I get it. We live in a generation that is emerging with a great sense of entitlement rather than responsibility. Understand what that's mean. It means for the world and for the church. That we don't have responsibility because we're entitled to this. I mean, we come on every Sunday morning, we're entitled to lights. 
We're entitled to air conditioning. You're entitled to a padded pew. You're entitled to have people standing at the door to welcome you. You're entitled to coffee. You're entitled to be comfortable. Where in the world does the Bible say that we're entitled for any of this? We don't have that entitlement. You have a right to come in and worship, and we should, but we also have a responsibility, and that is to be fishers of men. We also have an education system today that greatly contributes to this princess mentality. You know, kids today go to school. Teachers can't do anything. Principals can't do anything. And it's a pat on the back and, or a special room. And we send them to this special room and they get to play and get to debrief and all these things. You know, pet their little doggies and all those things. Some of it, yes. But a lot of it is because they're self-centered they have this entitlement attitude. It's also where narcissism comes into the world today. Even the Greek myth is about a very attractive young man who was renowned for his beauty. If you've ever read about it, he wanted others to give to him, but he never gave back. He never gave to anyone. He formed many relationships, and he drew from them. And then once he had all he wanted, he rejected them. Eventually, he became captivated in his own reflection in the pond, remember? He kept looking at himself. He refused all attempts of people trying to help him, and he withered away, it says, and he lost all of his beauty because he was so self-centered. You see, the fruit of this self-absorption is brokenness, is broken relationships, it's divisions, it's abuse in relationships, it's rejection, it's mental illness, it's addiction, it turns to crime. So what is the root of all this? What is the root of this princess syndrome that we're talking about? The root is pride. The root is pride. Proverbs 16, 18 said, pride goes before destruction. Because we think we deserve all these things. We think we should have all that we want. We think everything should go my way. Every idea that I have, I should get. I should get to accomplish no matter what it is in life. And Luke 15, 15 says this about the story that we're talking about. So, so he went and hired himself out as, in a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. So the son gets the inheritance from dad. He goes off. He spends all the money, has all these friends, has all these parties. Then he finds out after he's spent all his money, his friends leave him. So he hires himself to this farmer to feed pigs. If you remember, he not only feeds the pigs, he eats what he was feeding the pigs. He is so hungry. You see, this root of pride, of this princess syndrome, is the path to ruin for so many people whether it's financially or relationally or emotionally or even spiritually in our lives. And it all started with two words. Give me. Give me what I want. Give me what I think I deserve. But don't miss verse 17. I love this in verse 17 about the son. It says when he came to his senses, okay, when he finally realized he's wrong, when he's finally realizing he's on the wrong road, he says, how many of my father, father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? He says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. 
As soon as he came to his senses, as soon as he realized not everything was about him. Not how long, I don't know how long it took him to eat pig food, to sleep with the pigs, and to do all these things to come to that realization. I don't think it would take me that long. But it depends on how self-centered we are. It depends on how deep we have dug the hole that we have to climb out of once again. But he came to his senses and he went home. That's the best part. Jesus says, just come to your senses. Realize what's going on. And we're going to learn some things today that we need to do to correct these things. In Matthew 16, 21 through 25, Jesus gives us these instructions. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, Jesus' commitment was to serve his father. This is as he's getting ready to go to the cross and all these things are about to happen. Jesus reveals his commitment to serve his father. His commitment to the will of God. See, Jesus knew why he was here. Jesus understood why he was sent to the earth. He understood that the cross was before him, that he was going to endure all these things. His commitment to the will of God, he reveals his path that involves suffering, death, and resurrection. That's what Jesus says we have to do. We have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. But in verse 22, Peter's response. Because Jesus is telling them, you know, all these things are going to happen. And Peter's response is this, save yourself. Now, that's not a bad response. You know, I would hope Jesus would actually do that. If I was with Jesus, I wouldn't want to see him killed. I don't want to see him hurt. I mean, one, he's my friend, he's my savior, and these guys understood that, but Peter wasn't quite getting it yet. It says in verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. In other words, Jesus, this ain't going to happen. Okay? But I would love to have been there when Peter starts to rebuke Jesus. You know, of all people, you're going to tell Jesus how this is going to go down. And that's not happening. And then in verse 23, Jesus rebukes Peter. He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Understand, Jesus wasn't calling Satan, or Peter, Satan. His response was from Satan. It wasn't from Peter. Jesus identified the source of this statement. It was Satan, the one opposed to the purposes of God's Spirit. And Jesus identified the impact of this statement. It was an offense. It was something hindering the course of what Jesus was going to have to do. You see, Satan did not want Jesus to go to that cross. Satan did not want Jesus to be crucified. Why? Because it knew, he knew it meant Jesus won. And Satan was going to lose. He identified the root cause of the statement. He says, you are not mindful. In other words, you're not thinking about what God wants. You're thinking about what the world wants. You're thinking about what Satan wants. And I guarantee you, every time we do something opposite of what Jesus is telling us to do, we're listening to Satan. Because Satan doesn't want us to do it. Maybe it's to go down to the mission downtown Indianapolis to tear down the walls. And I guarantee you, if we do that, and I want to take some people down there, it's going to be different for us. This is a very poor part of town. When we went down to drop off the money and the goods from VBS, I actually had my gun on because these houses around, some of them were pretty scary. 
you know, I was glad it was in daytime, not nighttime, you know. But I guarantee you, if we say we're going to do that, and then we start to get scared and cold feet, and we don't accomplish it, it's not what God is telling us to do. We'll be listening to Satan. No, 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 no. Satan says, don't go down there. It's too dangerous. Don't go down there. Somebody might get hurt. Don't go down there. And Jesus is trying to tell us, no, that's where we need to be. That's where we need to go. So number one, what Jesus' instructions to us, the disciples. And verse 24 says, if any man will come after me, in other words, will, we have to be resolved, we have to be determined, we have to do these certain things. We have to, number one, deny self. But to deny ourselves. To turn totally away from self-centered and to turn away from our self-centered way of thinking. In other words, we got to get out of this Cinderella syndrome or this princess syndrome that it's about us. We have to get rid of the attitude, what's in it for me? And that viewpoint's no longer our viewpoint. It's about what's in it for them. What can we do for other people? And we're totally opposed to the self-centered agenda that so many times we have, but I understand we don't always realize it. Okay? Then he says, number two, take up his cross. Doing what Jesus requires of us, regardless of what people may think, what they may say, or what they may do, or what we personally experience. We take up his cross. And as examples, it may be painful. It may be inconvenient. It may have pressures. It may have difficulties. It may have hardships. But you know what? Never in the Bible does it say following Jesus is going to be easy. It's going to be smooth. It's always going to be fun. That we're always going to have everything we need. It never says that. But he still tells us to do it anyway. I want you to understand taking up his cross, taking up our cross, is a daily decision. It's a personal decision, what we have to do. It means it may change our plans for the day. It may change what we're planning on doing. Then he says, follow me. We look to Jesus constantly for our direction, for our strength, for our encouragement. We stay attached to Christ and his cause and everything that's going on. And the outcome of this kind of life is what, here's the best part about it. The outcome of this part of life is a blessed life, a renewed life, now and for eternity. It also goes in with this forgiveness idea. When we deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow Jesus, it means we accept Christ's forgiveness in our life, which means in return we forgive other people. Friday and Saturday, we were at the camp for different things. I was there to work in the morning, and the Handicap Week came in. Eighty people at Handicap Week. And Tom was on vacation, so I didn't have a lot to do. I worked for a couple hours, and then I kind of did nothing. But I watched these people come in. You know what I noticed about 99% of them? They had smiles on their faces. They were just so happy to be there. Then what I noticed after they registered and after they got their buddies, because there's 80 campers, then there's always 80 buddies with them, one person for each person. Most of them, as they walked along, always reached out for the other person's hand. They wanted to hold on to somebody's hand. And what I loved about this, what I hear from Gary and Drake, and I think Tom would agree, that this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they leave at 2 o'clock today, is the easiest week that they have all summer. And you would think with 80 handicapped people, it would be one of the hardest. 
But why is it? Why is it the easiest week, probably, of all year? These 80 people don't demand anything. They just kind of go along for the ride with what's planned, with what's going on. And that's what I love. They're fun to watch. They're fun to, to just help in one of those things. And it's one of those deals. I keep telling myself, I want to help it this weekend. But the other part of me says, I just don't know. You know, I don't know if I can. And I know what you're going to say. That Kurt, get out of your comfort zone. Go do what you need to do. And I probably will one day. You see, the last part of this is simply this. It's all about serving. Luke 15, 17 through 19 says this. The young boy, the father's son, says he came to himself. He had a change of heart from giving me to make me a servant. He said, I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to ask him for forgiveness. He goes, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against all these things. But father, I don't want to be your son anymore. Just make me your servant. The change of heart. Make me a servant. It's a great favor. It's a blessing. But what I love about the story in this Father is representing God. The son comes home and says, God, I've, or Dad, I've done all these things. Just make me one of your servants. What does Dad do? What does the Father do? Absolutely not. What does he say? You're my son. Kill the fatted calf. Bring the robe. Bring the family ring. You are my son once again. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Number one, we have to recognize our condition. In verse 17, the young man did. He says, man, I'm starving to death. I'm living with pigs. I'm eating pig slop. I'm doing all these things. That's what we've got to do in our life is recognize our condition. And I'm not saying anybody here and all of us here are on this princess syndrome. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we probably have tendencies. I'm probably saying we probably have more in it than we admit to. I think we got to have this condition recognized in our life. Number two, in verse 18, we have to have heartfelt repentance. He says, I will go. I have sinned, he says. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's repenting to his dad. Dad, I know what I've done is wrong. I know what I did, asking you for my inheritance and just literally turning my back on you and my family and my brother and everybody that's involved with me. I know what I've done. But he says, I will go and say I've sinned. You see, admission of his wrong and willingness to turn away from it. Admission of how he had hurt others by his self-centered attitude. Repentance means to turn away from, to make it right with those who we have wronged. In other words, it's a simple word. It means to apologize. It means simply to say, I'm sorry. Number three is a decision to love and to serve others. He says, make me like one of your servants. And I can picture all this as he's coming up and the servants are doing all these things. I'm sure most of the servants are going, well, daggone it, he came home. You know, they, they didn't want him there, I'm sure, the way that he treated them before. Remember I said, these servants probably didn't like this son. Now he's coming home, and they're probably saying, great, we've got to put up with this idiot again. But he says, make me one of your servants. Make me. Turn me into Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's something that just doesn't automatically happen. It's something that we have to go through a process with. You see, make me like one of your servants. Understand, it's in your outline. We cannot experience resurrection until we identify with Christ's 
death. I love that. We cannot experience resurrection until we identify with Christ's death. The sins of selfishness, the sins of self-idolatry must come to the cross. When we die to selfishness, we are free to love and serve others. You see, dead people don't react. Dead people don't get offended or hurt or they walk in pride. And there may be roots in the heart that we have to address. And that's what I want us to understand. To follow Jesus means more to saying than I'm a Christian. Following Jesus is more than just saying, I went to church. Following Jesus means that he's turning us into something that we're not right now. And you may be sitting here saying, you know, Kurt, I've been a Christian for 50, 60, 70 years. And you know what? That's great. But have you become who he wants you to become? Are we doing what Christ wants us to do? Are we simply doing what we want? The last one simply is this. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. It says the Son of Man came to serve and to give his life. So in other words, we walk in the opposite of pride. It means we walk with humility. Matthew 20, 26 through 28 says this, Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Let me close this way. I know there's a lot of times, especially when we're working in church or we've got things going on in life, the last thing we want is a phone call from somebody saying, hey, I need your help. And the first thing that comes in your mind is saying, wow, I don't have time. I've already done all this. I just, I, I just don't have time. And so many times we allow things to get in the place of serving. Sonia and I watched a movie this week. It has Michael W. Smith in it. And it's about an inner city church and how this minister started this inner city church. And as the movie goes along, he moved out of the inner city and they built a whole big church in the suburbs. As the black minister says, the downtown church, you went to minister to the rich white people. You know, even though they're dumping money into this and all this. To make a long story short, Michael W. Smith is associate minister. He's a preacher's son. He's supposed to move up into the pulpit one day. He gets sent to the inner city to teach him some things. And as it goes along, you can see the clash. But what I love at the end, simply what happens is um, one of the handicapped guys that works at the church that helps volunteer for their staff meeting takes a pail of water or a pitcher of water and a pan and goes up to the one of the guys that he offended that day and washes his feet. And then it goes on to the next one. And you see, that's what it's about. It's about doing things maybe we don't want to do. It's about doing things maybe we don't like to do. It's about doing things that maybe we don't even think anybody else sees. But what I said, it's all about serving. That's what Christ did. He came to serve us first and foremost. And the Bible says if you want to be great among people, you first have to serve to do what God is calling us to do. And if that this morning is sitting here and you've never accepted Christ, it's first accepting Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. It's about being who he wants us to be, his children. 
It's about having that relationship with him. It's about following Jesus, not following religion, not following a person, not following all these other things. It's about truly following him. And understand, when we do things for him, that's exactly what it is. We're doing it for him. We're not doing it for people. I'm not doing it to get a thank you from somebody else, but I'm doing it for him. And that changes everything.